motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited to be here with our guest today, Delphine Rule. Delphine is a mother, wife, teacher, and strong believer that all children have the potential to make a difference no matter how difficult their learning struggle might be. Something else worth mentioning, she is dyslexic, a disability her children share. Does it define her? Absolutely not. It is simply just part of her journey, one she's navigated proudly. Learning to navigate both her own learning disability and her children's has led her to create Access to Education, an educational consulting business that supports families in finding their roadmaps to success. Thank you so much for joining me, Delphine. Thanks for having me, Tan. I'm super glad to be here and, and hopefully I can give something back. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, and I know that there's going to be so much important information that comes out through our chat today. So I wanted to start talking with you about exploring and navigating the diagnosis of a learning difference, because this can really be quite the journey. And I'd love to know what was your experience like in coming to know about and understand your own diagnosis And also, what was this experience like for you as a mom with your own children? It's been an interesting journey for me. You're right. It was not one that when I was seven or eight years old coming to terms with my diagnosis that I thought I would end up in this spot doing what I'm doing. So I have known, I say forever, but for as long as I can remember, so about seven or eight years old that I have a learning difference, a learning disability. And that's mainly because I was put into a small class placement at the age of seven or eight once I had the diagnosis of dyslexia. So I moved around schools a couple of times. A few things were tried. Things weren't working. Eventually, my parents had me assessed and and then here I am, right? So my parents were able to advocate for me and get me support and put me on the right path. So in terms of coming to know my own diagnosis, it just always was. <laughs> it's always just been a part of who I am. For a while, I think it was something I didn't wear proudly. I think for a long time when I was younger, kids made fun of me because I was in the small class. I you know, came from out of area because the school was out of area, the, the sorts of things. And I think I felt like It wasn't okay to have it be a part of who I am. But as I grew up and as I learned that actually I have a lot of gifts from it, I have a lot of abilities because of my disability. And also that quite frankly, my disability gives me some advantages. I mean, I had time and a half on exams. I didn't have to write in the gym in university. Let's just talk about that. I mean, having to write with four or 500 people feet from each other, I think for me, and I never had to experience it, but I don't, I used to say to my friends, I don't know how you guys can walk into that gym and not lose your minds because I would not be able to handle it. So I got to write in a room with say 15 or 20 people and it was a regular classroom, like with a normal desk and it wasn't, it just, for me, it worked. 
And so as much as people sometimes say, oh, it's such a disadvantage, I don't see it as that at all. But I guess to move on to my kid's journey, because that's one that I could talk about for hours, it was hard. And the thing that was hard about it was that I felt initially it was my fault because it was my gene, right? It was me that, that brought this to them and feeling as though I somehow had to fix it, but there wasn't anything to fix. And so I had to remind myself that it is a bit of a gift and that it's not a bad thing. And that if I guide them in the right way, that they also can gain from it and they can learn what is good about it, but they can also learn what is not so good about it or more accurately, what they struggle with to support them to do better. So that sort of has come full circle for me. And especially for my eldest, the understanding that something wasn't okay for him was hard emotionally. As a mom, I'm going to get a little emotional when I talk about it. Because especially with your first child, I think most of us parents, because I don't want to generalize to say mothers, but I think parents in general, when we have our first child, we have all these visions and these goals and these dreams and these expectations. As parents, we have expectations because we as people had expectations put on us. I think there is that normal cycle of putting expectation on. And so I think I expected that he would be this bright, bubbly little boy who wouldn't have any challenges and everything would be fine and he would sail through and we wouldn't have any problems. But then it was the little play school that I put him in when he was two who, and I would pick him up and she'd say to me, so he's been hitting a lot and he's not following direction and all these things. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what this is. And I felt uncomfortable. And then we got him into a regular daycare with a preschool and there were all kinds of red flags. And so that was when I had to really say, okay, I have to not be afraid. I have to be open to the idea. And that openness is hard. But once you start on the journey and you start putting the pieces in place, so going to your family doctor and having a conversation saying, hey, educators are noticing this. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then the next visit, the doctor asks, so how's it going? Well, the teachers are still saying, right? So that that door of conversation starts with the doctor because they are the key. They are the door that can unlock. And the good thing for us, the fortunate thing for us was we had a doctor for whom we had a very good open relationship with. And I was comfortable providing that information, understanding that not everybody has that relationship or has a family doctor for whom to go to, right? If we put it all on the table, there's lots of, there's lots of things, but that's the quick kind of breakdown of my eldest, but my middle son, and and I still feel badly to this day, I was so focused on our eldest because he had so many emotional problems. He was not aggressive, but he was a zero to 60 kid. He's a super feeler. And so he would have these big explosive moments. And so all of our focus was put on him and helping him and supporting him and figuring out what was going on to help him that I, I missed a lot of the signs for my middle son. And so we're now playing catch up. And so it's been difficult. I've let go of the guilt (laughs) that This is the way their brain developed. And the benefit for them is they have me, as you had said, an educator. I landed as a special education teacher and I've been there and I've done that. So I've been able to kind of get the t-shirt, as they say, and support the kids through it. And, And that's been the benefit for us as a family. It is such a journey, isn't it? And it is so easy to feel that guilt. And I know both my husband and I being in education with our eldest that has struggles, We felt a lot of guilt in not noticing or thinking about certain things sooner. We felt like we should have known, but each of us can only do the best 
that we can each and every day with what we've got in terms of our energy, attention, and everything else that's going on and everything else that we're juggling. So it definitely is a journey. And I'm curious too, what are some of the challenges and successes that you've experienced in navigating learning challenges and parenthood? And maybe as well, what are some tips that you'd offer to other parents to support them on their own journey? I think the challenges for us, and we're in a bit of a unique situation in that we made the choice early on to put our children in a French language only school. So they're learning from preschool till now. So they're in six, four, and kindergarten, right? So if we think of my daughter in kindergarten, goodness knows what she's going to have for us, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that's all going to come soon. But we made the decision early on that we wanted to give them the opportunity to learn in French because we had that for a myriad of reasons we could access that. So we decided to access that. And I, I think that that has been a challenge for us because it's always been a bit of a fence game of like, is the learning disability hampered because of the language. The research would suggest not as parents, you you second guess. We all second guess when we do things with our children. Should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know. Do we go this way or that way? There is no way to know. We've gotten to this point and it's been okay. I would say the challenges that we face often is finding support. And really, like, let's be honest, finding the funds for those supports, having tutoring, occupational therapists, doctor's appointments, specialist appointments. I mean, I'm taking time off work left, right, and center, and that's a big challenge. And between couples, so between my husband and I, to be very blunt, it can be difficult because it sometimes feels like the brunt of the responsibility is put on me, partially because I work closer to where the kids are. My husband is about a 45 minute to an hour drive. So, right. And so I work within the city and he works outside of the city. So for various reasons, it does make sense that it becomes me, but then it's like, well, why am I always the one taking time off work? So those challenges are there. And that, that guilt of, well, I have to leave work, but my children are important. And how do you find that balance, the balance between your responsibility as a mother and as a parent and your responsibility to your job. And in my case, the students and the staff in my building, which is often, it feels like I'm on that, like I'm on one of those, the princess bride movie where he's got him like laid out on that torture machine with the suction cups. And and you're just like, who's pulling me in what direction? So those are some super, super big challenges. Listen, successes. There are so many successes I could go on for hours about the successes, but the successes are really that with every little step we've taken forward, we see so many gains. We've been able to see the potential. I've been able to watch my children grow and come and learn how to deal with their super feeling emotions or how to deal with not being able to read the book, but they know they have a a technique so they can go to the computer and use the read, write and gold, or they can access those things and they're learning to be independent my son in grade six is beginning to be able to advocate and say to his teacher, I need to be able to do it this way. My son in grade four is starting to learn some of those skills. He's not able to tell the teacher, but he's able to come to me and say, hey, mommy, when we did this in class, this didn't work for me. So those successes are huge and that they talk to us openly about their LDs and their struggles because we as a family have chosen to keep that as an open line of conversation where that success and and those good moments and bad moments that we talk about, it's an open line of communication. It's so important to have those conversations and to have your kids be a part of those conversations. And it's so nice to hear that 
your two boys are able to increase their ability and their confidence in starting to advocate for themselves? May it be telling you and talking about how they're feeling and what they're struggling with or being able to talk with their teachers too? Because I think that's so important in that they're recognizing their struggles and their strengths and also the tools that are in place that they need. They're able to speak up and say something about that too, which is huge. For sure. And I think in terms of a a tip for anybody who's listening, if they've got older children, younger children, whatever it is, I think there's kind of two things. I think the first thing is trust your gut. If your gut tells you that something isn't right, no matter how tiny that little voice is in your head, and we all know as parents, and this applies to adoptive parents, biological parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you are someone in a child's life and you have a little, there's a little voice in your head that says, hmm, I think that we maybe need to then trust that sit with that for a minute. And I'm not a wooey person, right? So I'm not someone who like sits with my thoughts too much because sometimes I often don't have time, but I'm not, that's not who I am as a person, but I truly believe that as parents and caregivers to children, if we know a child and we want the best for that child, we're going to hear it. We're going to feel it. Something is going to say, ding, ding, something doesn't feel right here. And then speak up because I promise that if you do, there will be someone who will hear you. And it might not be the first person you talk to. It might not be the second or third, but if you keep bringing it forward and, and tell the teacher, if that's the person you trust, if it's the principal, the vice principal, your doctor, anybody, even if you have a friend who's an educator and just go to them and say, Hey, can I just ask you about this? Guarantee you that someone will listen and help you walk through that because it's not a journey that should be done alone. It's a very long journey. It is a marathon, not a sprint, and you can't do it alone. So that old adage of it takes a village, especially when we're talking about kids with learning differences, whether it's something as simple as say my kids who are dyslexic and in the grand scheme of, of difficulties, it's a pretty minor one. Like I can support them. We can get them the help. They'll be okay. But even if you've got kids with bigger disabilities and bigger needs, you need a village. You can't do it alone because you'll drown. I, I can't think of a single situation where I've met a parent in my time who's not needed support at some point. And it's hard to ask for help. I mean, I'm sure you talk about that all the time. Asking for help. I, I will raise my hand a million times and say, I suck at asking for help. But this journey has taught me that sometimes you have to say help. And it's okay. So that's my thing. Ask for help and trust your gut. Those are my my two pieces of (laughs) advice. Those are huge. And I completely agree because they resonate so much with our family's own experience. And it has made a world of difference. 100%. And in thinking about our kids and your three kids and my three kids, even within our own families, each child is very unique and learns and understands things in very different ways. And then you think about the context of an entire classroom. I'm always in such awe of the magic that happens in classrooms with teachers navigating all the different personalities and ways that uh, children learn best. So I would love you to explain what is a learning profile and where can parents start in understanding their own child's learning profile? 
Yeah. So learning profile is one of those fancy words we like to throw out there. It'd be like, oh, find out about your child's learning profile. It's really just a fancy way of saying, what are your child's strengths and needs? That's a really simple way of putting it. So what are they really, really good at? What are they really passionate about? What drives them? What engages them in learning? So those would be the things that they're good at. So maybe they're really good at building things, right? So they're great with Lego. They're great with towers. They love to look at bridges when you go through them. They want to talk about the intricacies of those things, right? That's something that drives them. It might be that they're super interested in animals. And so they want to learn more and, and they might be really good at writing, Maybe that's how they get their thoughts and emotions and things out. They can write on paper. They're super, super good at that. But then if you look at challenges, it might be something like they're super shy and they don't like to speak out. That's a challenge, not a major challenge. It's one that generally we can work through, but that might be a challenge. They might not be very good at math, right? So understanding simple math concepts could be a challenge. A challenge could be something as simple as they're not good at holding a pencil. So we think about gross and fine motor skills. So can they pull apart the little pieces of Lego, right? That's a fine motor skill. That's hard. It's hard for me. I need to use that little tool that they now give you to pry the pieces apart because it hurts. But that's an example of some of the things that are strengths and needs. So you kind of have to look at your child as a whole and say, what are the things that they gravitate to? So if you ask them to, for example, make their bed, do they run from that because it's too hard? So my kids, one of my kids has some gross motor issues. So making his bed is a really difficult one because it requires a big swing of the arms and strength in his arms and his hands, which he doesn't have. So the same with holding his pencil. I've got one son who like his pencil grasps, but we've been working on it for 11 years, right? So that is part of his profile. Part of the profile also would be how well can they follow instructions? So if you give them, say, okay, we're going to go out and in the winter, we're recording this in the winter. So you need to put on boots, snow pants, hat, mitt. And if you give them the list of things, how many can they remember at once, right? So those are all of the, the pieces that sort of fall into their profile. If you read their report card and if you kind of want to really dig deep into their, because you're curious to see what does the teacher think? Look for words like with support, is able to, can complete, can follow instructions, likes to do, does not like to do, or prefers this, does not prefer this, needs to be encouraged to try. Those are all kind of the little, little drop words that can give you a bit of an idea about what are they doing really well in the classroom? What are the things that they want to engage with? And then what are the things that are maybe a little bit more difficult? And so if you kind of put together what you perceive to be your child's strengths and needs, and you put together what the teacher's strengths and needs are, that often gives you a pretty good overview. Now, if you want a really specific learning profile, then we're talking about doing things like going and getting psychoeducational assessments. And those are doable and absolutely worth it if there's reason for And they will give you an amazing window into the wonderful brain that is inside your child's head. And anyone who's had a psychoed done knows it's about a two-hour debrief with the psychologist. And you sort of come out feeling like you've been underwater for about an hour of the two hours. And then you come up for air and you read over the report again. And you start to really be able to pick out the things that your child is super great at is really smart. And you realize that your son or daughter child 
is super bright, is super capable, has so much potential. And it does, if you're one of those parents who is worried about your child academically because you think that there's something that isn't right, it's one of those things that can really be alleviating to that stress because you can see that there is potential. But the way your child is going to achieve things is not going to be the way a you think they're going to because they are not you. They have a different brain. They have a different makeup. But also that if you can get them the right supports and put the right blocks in front of them, that the crevice from one jump to the other is much more narrow because what you see initially is this massive gap it's probably not as big as you think it is and that the potential is always there. And so I really feel that like I, it's something I, I truly honestly believe that all children, no matter their learning need, and you said this in the beginning, that they all can. It's just that they don't do it the same way. And I think sometimes as parents, we spend a lot of time comparing one child to another child, whether they're siblings, whether they're friends, whether they're cousins. And it's, it's taken me a lot of effort to often shut that down and go, nope, can't have that conversation with myself because my kid is my kid and they're made up completely differently. So I can't do that comparison. I think that was yeah. a really long way of answering that. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that because I think it stresses too, like the learning profile piece, it's good for all kids, right? To have that understanding. No matter if you're seeing some challenges or not, it's a great way for you as a parent to really think about your own child's learning and understand who they are as a learner better. And then also for your child to better understand who they are as a learner too. But it's always great if you're seeing something or sensing having that gut feeling that there's something more to the story, that it is so empowering to get that additional piece of information or pieces of information to be even better understand your child. And I would challenge people listening because I've done this once or twice with my own kids. Every now and again, I sit them down and I'm like, so what are you good at? What do you think you're not so good at? And sometimes our answers match. And sometimes I'm blown away by the things that they think they're really good at where I was like, mm, I don't know about that. But if they sense that, then go with that. Because if they have a security within themselves that they're good at something that maybe you don't agree with, I don't think you shatter that. I think you build on that and you provide them with opportunity to show more, to understand more, to work through it. One of my kids, we were out skating the other day and I don't take my children skating very often. Also, I live in a place where there isn't, I mean, we get cold, but it's never really enough to go skating. And and I was watching him in comparison. I was thinking, oh, I've really done him a disservice because he can't skate very well. And he's like, look, mommy, I skated the whole way through and I did awesome. And I was like, yeah, buddy, you totally did, right? But that's that that adult expectation in our head of like, this is what I think it should look like and what they perceive. And so it's always so interesting to talk to children, whether or not they have a difference or not, children in general, what do they perceive themselves to be good at? And what do you perceive them to be good at? And then what do they perceive as being a challenge? And what do you perceive to be their challenges? And I, I guarantee you, there will be some differences along that list for sure. And it's always so fun to dig into. That is a great idea for a conversation with your child and one where you're going to be so enlightened and learn so much. And it's interesting too, just those differences in perspective, because in so many ways, learning is a lot about mindset and that mindset piece can be a huge block for children. So if they really believe that they're not good at something, that can actually prevent them from being able to move forward. So being able to 
feel positive about what they're doing and then explore the potential and possibility of doing better in whatever it is that it is, is so great because I, he, I've heard from our own kids at times and then also with students that I've worked with, I can't, I'm just not good at this. And it's almost, in a way, it feels like they've thrown in the towel. They've decided they're not, so what's the point of even trying? It's the mind over matter, right? It's the, if you tell yourself you can't, it's like the little engine that could, right? If you tell yourself you can't, you won't. But if you can somehow in your brain be like, no, I can, I can, I can, I can. And it might not be the same way everybody else does it. I can tell you that there are a lot of things that I do that people are like, you do it that way? I'm like, yep, that's how it works for me, right? All of our brains are wired differently. That's all it is. It's the wiring of our brain and the way in which we process the information. And what works for one doesn't always work for another. It's just so important to, to allow them to see what they're good at, to feel what they're good at, and then run with it. Yes, 100%. I do love that. Now, we've talked about the fact that you are an educator. And so you're wearing, you wear that hat, the educator hat, and then also the parent hat. And I know for myself, this has presented some interesting challenges and situations along the way. So I'm curious for yourself, how has being a mom to two boys with learning challenges shaped your own family and your work in education? What has that been like for you? That's been a tough one. So I used to initially think before I was a parent, when I first started teaching and when I first started into special education and I was working in that field, I didn't have kids. I only knew my experience. And I was like, yeah, I can totally relate to these parents. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. And then as I started to see parents and work with parents, I was like, oh, I don't understand this at all. I can't empathize. I don't like, I think I get it, but I clearly don't. And so that was a shift for me. And then I had my eldest and we started to struggle. And then I would start to work with parents and I, everything for me shifted. I was less forceful. I was less aggressive, aggressive is the wrong word, but I just, I was calmer about the way in which I dealt with families. I didn't push as hard. I kind of waited for them to come to me a little bit. Like I would present it and then I'd sort of go away and then I would sort of come back. And I often found myself sitting with parents and saying, I understand and I'm here to help. And just having the ability to sit with them and say, yep, I know it's hard and I'm here and I'm listening and I'm going to walk you through this, that I was able to understand why they needed that more than before. Like before I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. And I was like, I mean, I was helping, but I was also trying to do 12 other things. But if there was a family who was really in crisis, there was something we really needed to sort it out. I could then really focus on it because I knew I had to, because that family, that child needed me in that moment. As a parent, as an educator going into the school, I've had to really walk a line where I have to be very careful because I know what my expectation is. I know what my children have a right to because I'm very aware of that whole part of it in terms of the ministry of education and what is provided versus what could be provided if we ask the right questions. So I often say to people when I work with them, I say, you have to know how to push just enough without pushing too much. And there is a line and you will find it. Everybody finds the line with their school, with their people. I sure found mine. I knew where the cutoff was, but I had to cross the line to understand where the line was. And so it was very difficult. I had to put a lot of faith in educators who I mostly had. I mostly had faith in what they, they had to say, but it, it was hard. It was to kind of 
bite my tongue and, and sit there sometimes with literally on my hands and having to walk away from a meeting and process and digest and then send a very kind email a few days later to say, thank you for the meeting. However, here are the things I have since thought of, right? So learning to sit, listen, take information, go away, process, think, calm down, then respond has been a challenge for sure. And, and it's hard because I think I put pressure on my kids as well, right? I'm an educator. I want them to do well. I was a child who wanted to always do well for everyone. And my children are not always like me. They are not always doers. <laughs> they sometimes <laughs> need to be coaxed a little bit, but I have to remember that they're their own people. And so my forcing them into something isn't always beneficial because then it just becomes buttings of heads and we're all arguing and fighting and it just, it doesn't work for anybody. It's a tightrope. It's a, it's a very delicate tightrope and you want to take it all on yourself because it's your child, but you can't, you have to, you have to let other people deal because you aren't their teacher. You are their parent first and remembering parent first as an educator, I'm sure you've experienced this, can be very hard because what can sometimes happen when you try to be the teacher more than the parent is you erode that beautiful trusting relationship that you have. And I've talked to a couple of sort of parenting experts about this and the idea that parents are parents first and that if you erode that foundation of trust, love, and appreciation because you're so stressed out about the school and you become too much the teacher then the parenting side of things can really take a hit. And I don't think any of us want that because we love our children to the ends of the earth and knowing when to kind of pull the plug or, or step away is hard, but it, it, it is necessary. Yeah, it, it really is necessary. And I think what's been helpful too is to really think about for our family is to think about sort of the village mentality and that it's everyone sort of plays a role in supporting our children. So we play a role and the teacher and the school plays a role. And then our child as well plays an active role in the learning experience too. But just maintaining those open lines of communication, I think has been so important for us and saying something and not just kind of waiting or if something doesn't feel right, speaking up. And I found for our family anyways, it's been much better to have a conversation versus an email. So that's been a, an important lesson that I've learned because sometimes I think, oh, the teachers, they're so busy. The school is so busy. But so much can get lost in translation with an email. With our kids, we're obviously so emotionally invested. As you said, we love them to the end of the earth. So it's good to maybe initiate that conversation via email, but then when you have a conversation over the phone or not right now in person, but maybe over Zoom or something like that, they can hear the intonation in your voice and that you you really just have your child's best interest in heart and, and you want to be a part of those open lines of communication. Just as the teacher wants what's best for your child, you do too, and you're working together to make that happen. One of the things I work really hard with families on is creating that sort of circle around the child. So the idea that what the school is doing should be the same as what home is doing and the same of home is doing at school. So for my eldest, with his sort of emotional challenges and, and his ADHD and the things that we were working on, when we started to find out that the school was doing zones of regulation, I was like, well, that's great. We'll do that at home so that the language is the same. And then that allowed us to start to create a team between us at home and the school. And it's not always easy to create that relationship. It's very hard because first of all, you as a parent, right? And I'm sure you felt this. You have to be open and honest about your child. 
you have to be able to say, I understand that they're not perfect or that they aren't great at everything or that they're struggling with this, that, or the other. Like we had to be really open with, yep, our eldest can get really angry and his outbursts can be pretty big. And that for me was a super embarrassing thing. I was like, I just want my kid to be kind, quiet, sit, listen, do as they're told. Like that was what I wanted. Wasn't what I got. I love what I got. He has energy and he has emotion and enthusiasm, but he's got to learn how to place it right. But it took the team. And so I really try to work hard with families to create that team. And sometimes it means I have to help them mediate a little bit with the school because that relationship can get eroded over time. And so sometimes it needs to be rebuilt. So it's a balance. It's definitely, it's a balance for anybody, whether you're an educator or not. <laughs> you're, you're balancing that parent, teacher, educator thing. And, and sometimes I think parents are concerned that they're not the expert. So they can't ask. They can't say the teacher is the expert. So why should they question? But it's your child. It's your concerns about your child. And I would argue that educators would prefer that you ask the question, have the conversation so that they can help you better understand if there's something that you maybe don't understand or so that they can better understand what they don't know. And all of that opens up abilities for your child to be successful, for your teacher to successfully teach your child, and for you to have confidence in the person who's teaching them. Delphine, I so appreciate how open you've been in sharing your experiences as both an educator and a mom with the juggle that you have. And in the part-time jungle, we like to keep things real about motherhood. And I'm wondering if you have what we call a mummy mess up that you'd be willing to share with us, but just a mistake, something you wish you had done differently or a learning experience that you've had as a mom on your journey. You only want one. There are many. Well, <laughs> no, you have I'll give you one. I promise I'll give you one. There was a moment, I think my eldest was maybe five and we were going somewhere. And in the past, there had been a couple of issues with his behavior. As I said, he can kind of be a zero to 60 kid. And and I was really stressing about this visit. And I was really, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can hold this together. And I remember before I got him out of the car, he was still buckled in his five-point harness. And I said to him, you need to behave because I don't want to be embarrassed. Because I just was so anxious because these meetings and these get-togethers had not gone smoothly in the past. And I just, I wanted to see my friends. I wanted to be able to talk to adults. I loved my son, but I wanted to be able to like not talk to a five-year-old. I mean, and my, my middle son would have been two roughly at the time, right? So I wanted that interaction. And, and I still remember the look on his face. And I, the visit was fine. I remember going home that night and putting him to bed and just saying, mommy's really sorry. I didn't mean to put something on you that you didn't need. But it was that adult moment in me and not fully understanding who he was as a person yet, right? We were still kind of digging. And I just remember him kind of watching me all the time to see if I was watching him. And so I felt like I needed to apologize to him. And I try to do that a lot for my kids. If I mess up, I like to stand up and be like, okay, mommy screwed that one up. But that was probably one of the moments that still stands out for me in that I put a lot of pressure on him to be someone he wasn't. And it meant that he couldn't be who he wanted to be in the play date, in the visit, wherever it was we were going. And so I, I hold that moment as kind of one of those lessons learned. Wasn't my best moment, but I think as adults, we can all understand. We all get stressed out. We all feel over the top and we just, it, you can't hold it all in forever. So that was probably my biggest wish I had done it differently. And I think my wish I had done it differently was just to say something kinder to him and say, hey, 
if you need a minute because you're getting too excited, because you're getting frustrated, because right, if I had named the emotion and the feeling for him and said to him, why don't you come sit with me or step away or whatever, that would have been a better way to have gone about it. But here we are a few years later. I think he survived. We've figured out a way to communicate with each other. And when we get into these situations where I know for him, the sensory overload is going to be there, we're able to have the conversation in a more effective way, in a more respectful way that says, hey, this might be where you get way up into the red zone and you need to like have help to come down, come and find me, I'll help you, right? So that's probably my, my mess up moment. <laughs> well, and there, there really is so much learning that comes from these experiences, right? So we all have these moments, we all do. And then we take that pause and we think, okay, like what could I have done differently or what could I have done better or what would I do next time? And, and I think too, I love that you had that conversation with your son because I think it's so important for our kids to see that we're learning and we're going to make mistakes and, and that's okay. That's, that's part of the deal, right? We're all trying to do the best we can. It really sounds like your family has such a great open dialogue that happens around things. And I, I really think that's so important. Yeah, I think we do. I think it's taken us a long time to understand that that was what we needed. I think many of us, this makes me sound really old, but many of us of my generation, I think our parents wanted to keep us in a bubble they didn't want us to have all the information. They, I remember my parents having conversations off away from me where I couldn't hear what was happening. And I don't subscribe to that ethos, really. I really want for it to be open in our house, for them to understand that there are challenges and that we're going to work through them together as a family. And then that, that makes a difference. That being said, we've had to do that because of the makeup of my children, right? We've had to be on the same page with how we're going to deal with discipline and how we're going to deal with academics because it's not as simple as like, yeah, yeah, they're going to go to school and they're getting straight A's and they're fine and they don't need any help. Like, sure, that would be great. But what the, the joy that we're getting from being able to sit with them and learn with them and understand their profile and support them and talk about it openly so that to your point of when mistakes are made, everybody in the family learns from that mistake. And then hopefully the same mistakes aren't remade, but if they are, we talk about it again and we go through the same motions. And so it's, it's been really an effective way for us to parent. It doesn't work for all families, but for us, it's what works. Yeah. And you, and you have to find that way, right? That way that works best for you and your family and to deal with those difficult situations in a way that's going to feel right. And there's no right or wrong way right? There is just what works for you. It's like when you first bring your baby home and everybody has every idea known to man on how you should feed baby, how you should bathe baby, how you should, you know, put baby to sleep. I, listen, at the end of the day, if you need to sleep and that work, whatever you're doing is working, then you go with that mama. Like you take yes. that. That is okay. You don't have to subscribe to anybody's way of doing it. And it's a hard lesson to learn. I think with my first, I tried to do it every other way than the way I wanted to. And eventually I had to throw that out and be like, yeah, no, that's not working for me. I got to try something else. But it takes a while and it takes confidence and it takes knowledge that you can. And I would say for any family who has a child with a learning challenge, learning disability, learning need, a neuro difference, any of those, whatever term you want to put on it, what works for you is not going to work for all. But having conversation with other parents to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What did you do? Might give you a tiny piece of, oh, I wonder if I could try that. Would that work? It's trial and error. Everything is trial and error. There's no 
handbook. There's no rule book. There's no Ikea instructions with pictures to try and follow through. (laughs) This is not how this happens. It is through experience. It's through sweat and tears and anger and, I mean, in my case, punching of walls, locking myself outside so that I can cry. My children don't hear me so that I can learn and understand and then pivot and change. That word pivot, there it is again. But really, honestly, for parents, if you, yeah, any of those differences and any parent in general, really, like if you're starting out, if you're new on a road in academics, in education, through anything, it there isn't one way, there isn't one size that fits all and, and it's trial and error. And when you find something that works, go with it. Just know that that might change, right? That, yes. that what worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. It's a joy to have these children because they keep life so interesting. And that is part of their gift. They bring us the ability to remember that schedules don't always have to follow, that best laid plans are the best laid plans. I was a very type A mom. When I first had my son, I was like, we are going to do this. This is, and my kids don't, they're ADHD and LD. I threw the, the, the day plan out because it was causing stress in our house. So now we kind of roll with it. I think it really just is, there is no one way to parent any child, never mind a learning difference, that it is trial and error. It is seek advice if you want, take what works and throw out what doesn't. And don't worry about the stuff that you've thrown out. And if somebody says, well, you should do it this way, you shouldn't do it that way. You do what feels right in your gut. So we go back to that idea of like, follow your gut. If your gut says, this is how I need to parent my child, that's how you need to parent. And if anybody tells you differently, well, (laughs) just do what you need to do for you. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it is so true. And I appreciate to how you're saying, put out that ask and seek that information and seek those ideas and then take it or leave it, right? You, it might give you a little spark of something that you might want to try, but absolutely just trust your gut and there is not one right way at all. And Delphine, before we wrap things up, you've shared so many wonderful words of wisdom with us today, but I'm wondering if you had any final thoughts for moms who are listening who might be looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. Going back to work after having babies is stressful. It's icky. It You feel pulled and pushed and stressed out. And it, it's not it's not an easy balance, but it is possible lots of us do it. We just all do it in our own way. So whether that means you order dinner every night, because that's what works, then you do that. If it's that you hire a nanny, because that makes sense for your household, then you do that. If it means you get help from family members, if it means that you do a part-time job instead of a full-time job, if you work weekends, because you still need to have some semblance of yourself and can go out and work on the weekends and not during the week. And you do that. For me, I need to work because it keeps my sanity. I love my children, but my husband will tell you that when I go through periods in the summer where I'm not working and I kind of lose me and it allows me to stay me. I don't think I have a recipe for the juggle. I will tell you that what works for me is we order in at least twice a week And I am lucky enough that I can have someone come and clean my house because that keeps me sane. 
So those are the things that over the past 16 years of marriage and three children later, my husband and I have figured that those are the things that keep me from going off the rails, right? Those are the things that keep our marriage together, be our children happy and me feeling like I've got it together, even though I don't always. And one of the things I will say that, that I should add is that if you're doing the mom work balance, putting time for you is important. I will caveat that by saying I suck at doing that part, but it has to be said. And being a mom and saying to whomever is in your home, I'm going to do A, B, and C, or A and whatever it is, I don't know, shopping, groceries, nails done, hair, whatever it is that makes you feel you, even if it's just for half an hour, then do that. It's hard because somewhere you have to give something. And I'm not a very good giver upper of things. I like to hold it all to myself. So that's why I preface that by saying I suck at the doing me first. I do everybody else and then I get mad because I don't get to do me. And then my husband reminds me that it's because I don't make the time for me. But those are my pieces of like, do, it's kind of like raising children. Do what works for you and don't allow others to judge you based on what you are or aren't doing. You are doing a great job with your job and your children and your family and whatever other responsibilities you might have, because there are lots of different hats that we wear. And if you feel like the wheels are coming off, then take a step back and say, what do I need? Put the I in big, bold capital letters, because generally when you get to that sense of like things are unraveling, it's because you've forgotten about you and putting you back first is important. It's such good advice and such a great way to wrap up our conversation, because I think that's just it. In order to deal and manage the juggle of all of the things that we do and all of the hats that we wear, if we're not okay, then how can we do all those things? And how can we give of ourselves and have the energy and stamina to keep up with all the things and and the new experiences and situations that we face each and every day? So I think... It is so, so important. Thank you so much, Delphine, for sharing your time with me today. And if our listeners want to learn more about you and the amazing work that you do, where are the best places to find you? So they can check out access to education.com. So it's the number two in there, not the letter T-O. So it's access to education.com. That's the website that basically gets you linked to my Facebook, my Instagram, the podcast that I have, which is on all sorts of different podcast mediums, talking all things special education, getting parents connected with experts and hearing other parents' stories so that they can see that there is a light, that they are not the only ones. And I just, I love that I get to share those stories. They uplift me, they brighten my day. And some of the experts, everything from tutors to occupational therapists to psychologists, the the, the gamut is large and that's access to education. It's the same name as the, the podcast and the website and it's all the same. And I think my Instagram handle is access to education Toronto. I think I'm not sure <laughs> it might be. I'd have to look it up. It is. It <laughs> is. <laughs> you can tell how often I look up my own handle, but I'm always there posting, often sharing stories about my own children and my own struggles. Somewhere in there, there's a, a very weepy IG about getting my son's reassessment done and realizing that he was worse off than we thought. But so those are the sorts of things that I, I try to share and, and tips and tricks are there. So come and find me, come follow, come join the fun. 
That's wonderful. And I'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes as well. So again, thank you so much, Delphine. It was wonderful to connect with you today. Thanks, Tina. This was super fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.